Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Full Court Press. I am Nathan, along with my co-host. Everybody, Roman here. Glad to be back. Awesome, awesome. Glad to be back. Glad to be um glad to be producing these at a somewhat regular pace now. I think we're uh, we're starting to get back into it a little bit. All right, so as usual, we will be covering both the women's basketball team and the men's basketball team. A uh, lot of interesting stories, storylines to discuss, go around for both teams. Starting on the women's side, since we last recorded, they have played four games, all losses, two to some of the top teams in the Big East in Marquette and UConn, and two to uh, some of the mid-tier teams in the Big East, that being St. John's and Creighton. Roman, what are your thoughts so far? I mean, we've talked about it a lot on this pod that this is a development year for um, the women's team. And, you know, they're losing the games they're supposed to lose. They weren't ever going to stay in against Marquette, against UConn. Creighton was actually a, you know, a decently competitive game for, you know, creating the team in the middle of the conference. It really does come down to the players. And I think we're seeing Kelsey Ransom finally starting to settle in on this team, which has been really, really nice to see. Really had a, a big coming out game against Creighton uh, where she scored 22 at seven boards. One of the players caught my eye. Yasmin Ott has kind of cooled down since she had a hot start to the season. But one thing I do find interesting in her, her last two games, she's had zero turnovers, which is showing a little bit of growth on that, on that side of the ball while averaging uh, in the mid-20s minutes per game. So I think her future is still bright. And one person I've been really disappointed by um, has been Taylor Bauer, who was on a tournament-bound Princeton team last year with Bell Allery. And she was playing big minutes in the starting lineup, one of the team captains. And she came here. She hasn't been scoring. She didn't score at all in the Creighton game. You know, she's been chipping in with some blocks and rebounds. But she's playing 20, 30 minutes a night coming off the bench. She's been playing a lot of the big minutes with kind of with Grace Ann Bennett. And that's just been a little disappointing. I thought she would really make an impact right off the bat. And I haven't really seen that, but other people are picking up the slack. Yeah, definitely echo your point on the rebuilding aspect. This was not going to be an easy year. We knew that we knew that going in, this was a team that faced a lot of departures and uh, something coach Howard always kept stressing to me, kept stressing to me was that he wanted his team to stay competitive, be competitive in these games, play hard for 40 minutes. And really the St. John's game, was a little bit of a letdown in that regard. St. John's at the end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter extended a 24 to one run that turned a one point game into a blowout by the very end. And uh, I covered that game. That was uh that's pretty difficult to watch, pretty difficult to stomach. I will say about Yasminot, a freshman, especially freshmen who play at that speed they will they'll take their lumps. They'll have some they'll have some troubles, but I do think I do think that it hasn't really gotten to her head yet. I think she's she's remained competitive. She's remained trigger happy. She she keeps shooting, and um, you know she's got she's got a little bit of that dog in her. She's got that fight that um, you can't necessarily say about some other players on uh, on either on either side. And also want to give a shout out Tegan Flaherty. She, she scored her first, she scored her first collegiate points in the St. John's game. So shout out to Tegan. That's kind of what I was uh, thinking about. Roman, what are your thoughts on the impact that Milan Bolden Morris has had since transferring here as a grad student from uh, Boston college? Well, I'll tell you this. She's not afraid to shoot. 
at any time, at any place. And I think she's a better shooter than necessarily her percentages are showing. You know, she's gone five for 20 from three in the last two games, which 23s for this team is kind of crazy. This is not a this is not a shoot the lights out team, take shots from all the corners, everything. This is a very slow, slower paced team. So I think while the results don't, haven't necessarily been there for Bolden Morris, although she did score 18 points against, I think it was St. John's. Yeah, it was against St. John's. Um, but that was on 17 attempts, um, which paced the team easily. But I think her, Ott, um, a little bit Kelsey Ransom, like they're kind of trying to play more quickly. And I don't know if that's necessarily Howard's brand of play, but it's what Howard's personnel is giving him. And he's kind of slowly starting to give it over to him. That's what I've seen, at least. Um, you could maybe say more on that since you've been covering more of the games. But I've definitely been seeing a bit of a faster pace, which can lead, if, if nothing's falling, that's kind of what screwed us against St. John's. But if things start falling, this is the right path to be going down. I think if we start doubling down on this kind of speed and recruitment, that might be nice. Yeah, I think there's there's obviously positives and negatives with um, running a fast-paced teams. I think that the key to the key to that is to be able to capitalize in transition, and uh, they had some trouble doing that in the Creighton game. I think the key is that you know if you if you depend too much on the run and um, on the fast break, then when you get stuck in half court sets after after opposing teams start to shoot shoot the lights out, then uh, you have you kind of have trouble creating offensively and things can start to spiral out of control. But when you're when you're fast and you're attacking the basket, that's when you're at your best. And like, you know, basketball <laughs> basketball is all about basketball is all about crashing the basket when that jump shot doesn't fall or when you're when you're kind of starved for creation. And so that's kind of a lesson that they do need to learn. They need that inside presence. And um, we would like to see a little bit more, I think, out of not only Bauer, but some of the other upperclassmen in uh, Jillian Archer and Grace Ann Bennett, too. And in all fairness, I think Archer's play has improved a lot these last couple games. But um, it needs it needs to be a consistent 40 minute effort from the uh, from the bigs to kind of help their freshman guards out and be able to play inside out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I see here that that Bennett did pick, pull down 12 boards against St. John's, only four against Creighton, which, you know, the rebounding difference there, um, you know, it was only a three round round difference between Creighton and uh, Georgetown, but you know, pulling those down does make a difference. Um, grabbing those offensive rebounds. Um, I think, Creighton had 16 offensive rebounds, which is pretty pretty crazy when they, you know, only had 21 defensive rebounds. So definitely something just, you know, just have to have people crashing the boards and pulling those in. I definitely think Archer and Ransom, those two especially started the year slow as, um, as transfers, but they are starting to come on um, from there. Um, I would like to see a little more from... Stimson, who I was kind of high on coming into the year. She had a really great season in junior college in Idaho uh, before transferring to the Hoyas. And she's just kind of struggled to carve out minutes, averaging under 10 a game and really not making her mark. Um, I think 
uh, against Creighton, she had two points and four fouls, a rough performance there. So, you know, it's a developmental year. That's what it is. And um, I do have to say in the parts of the games I've watched, you know, Howard's keeping them engaged, keeping them up and ready. And I, I feel like, I feel like there hasn't been too many, like, I feel like they're coming together as a team pretty well. Yeah, I think um, on the Simpson point, the jump from, you know, playing Juco one year to playing number three UConn the next year that, and, you know, other, other teams that are, that have been the class of the Big East, like, like DePaul, like Marquette, it's not easy to make that jump. So it's understandable, but you would also like to see more out of the upperclassmen again. And um, something that I think has hurt their interior presence is also Anita Kalova's absence as she's been dealing with some visa issues in uh, in her home country of Croatia. And so she hasn't been able to make it, uh, make it here for this season. I will say that Anita is not the most prolific scorer in the world, but also in her time here, she hasn't had to be with the presence of, of really talented players like Deanna White, Dorothy Adamaka, Michaela Benson, Brianna Jones, Taylor Barnes. So she hasn't had to be a, a huge scoring threat, but she's always been big on the boards. She's always been big on blocks and, and a good tone setter. And so I think they do miss, I think they do miss her presence, but um, it is, it is good again to see the, to see the young guards getting so much run. It might be, it might be born out of necessity, but at the same time in a year where, you know, you're not going to have the greatest of expectations and in, and in a year, frankly, where, fans don't have a place to go this is this is the year to be developing your players and planning for the future which is something that Gino Ariema actually mentioned in his uh, post game when we fell to UConn yeah actually you know obviously UConn rejoining the Big East this year is very fun uh, you know even though we know the Hoyas are going to struggle against the Lady Huskies um, it's still appointment viewing because they're one of the best teams in the nation how was it for you covering that game, going into a press conference with Gino? Um, how was how was that experience? There's an episode of Kente Corner where um, one of our former sports editors, Tyler Peer, was on, and their host, Bobby Bancroft. Shout out to Bobby; he does a great job always. Bobby was asking Tyler about what's that like first moment where you feel starstruck, like talking to a coach, and you know, obviously, I tense up whenever whenever I talk to like Patrick or Coach Ewing. Um, or some of the other great coaches, Jay Wright, Jim Beheim. Uh, but the first time I really felt kind of starstruck a little bit was was sitting in that press conference with uh, Gino Ariema. He was he was very nice. Obviously, he he answered he answered my question about how Georgetown was. How did he think Georgetown was kind of managing with so much turnover in a season like this? And um, so he was, he was very nice about it, but also they won that game by 31. That was the most unhappy. I think I've ever seen a coach after a 31 point win because Georgetown competed hard for 40 minutes and four seventeen turnovers in that game, you know, against the gold standard. And I think that in terms of growth for this program, for, for the players here, Competing twice a year against the gold standard, there's there's no better measuring stick than UConn to see how far you to see how far you can come, and so I think it's great for the Big East. I think that I think that ha- having t- having a legend like Gino Ariema back in the conference with a fully loaded team ready to make national championship run 
that's only that could only be a good thing for our growth, even if the result is less than ideal. I did want to talk about one last thing. The women played at Marquette January 20th. And before that game, that was on a Wednesday, before that game on January 18th, Monday, both teams got together for a pregame Zoom about racial equity issues in the wake of the insurrection at the Capitol. I just thought that that was something really cool to do. I thought that it was nice to see both teams so kind of socially conscious and very aware of what's going on. And it's a reminder that these athletes and coaches, they're human beings too. They have opinions too. And they committed to uh, certain actionable steps that they could take to influence the change that they want to see in a positive way. And the coaches appeared on a joint post-game Zoom to talk about it as well. And so I just wanted to bring that up. I thought that was uh, that was a really cool thing to do. And they're kind of leading the way in terms of how the Big East wants to view social justice issues as well as uh, athletics. That was really fantastic to see. In many ways, the women's game often leads the way on these kind of things and working together between two teams. Um, we saw that a lot in the WNBA bubble, but it really, you know, and it's always been like that so that's really good to see and um you know at the end of the day i'm i obviously i actively root against all the other big east teams but you know these players they're all on the same side at the end of the day something that really stood out to me one of the quotes from that particular post game was uh for chloe Murata from um marquette she said she said that basketball has been her been her avenue to be able to meet meet some of her best friends or best teammates and she said that she said that the people being affected are my sisters and that really like that was that was really cool that she was able to understand how close the struggle was to her and even if she hadn't faced such adversity some of her best some of her best friends um had and so so that makes the cause important to her and so that's that was really cool to see. And before we jump over to the men's side, just a quick schedule update on the women. Their upcoming schedule is not much easier. They will play against Marquette on Wednesday, February 3rd, against Providence on February 6th, the Saturday, and then uh, another two home games against Seton Hall and UConn, two, two of the uh, top teams in the Big East. And so their schedule doesn't get any easier. But at the same time, it's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to compete. Got another measuring stick game. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, always going to be interesting to watch them play UConn. Providence is another team kind of in the Creighton tier of the Big East. It seems to me they play pretty well against Creighton. All right, shifting gears to the uh, men's side. They are coming off a 21-day layoff due to COVID in which they saw they saw four games have to be postponed. First to Paul at Providence, at Marquette, and at Xavier. No makeup dates have been announced for those games. And then um, they played Providence yesterday on January 30th, got out to an ice-cold start. Providence started the game on a 10-0 run and built a lead of 15 points, and Georgetown continued to keep chipping away, chipping away, eventually coming out with the victory on national television after a COVID pause. What are your thoughts? Georgetown basketball hasn't given me much to be thrilled about recently, but, you know, you just keep coming back. I was ecstatic when David Duke's last free throw went awry, and, you know, it's just a good feeling. 
it, it, it never feels good to lose, even when you're looking forward to the future. This isn't like the NBA or any professional sport, right? Where if you if you're a bad team and you lose, well, you're gonna get a high draft pick next year. You know, in college, it doesn't really make a difference where you finished if you're not making the tournament. And playing spoilers is always kind of fun. You know, Providence is a team that's I think at the end of the year is gonna end up kind of near the bubble uh, for the tournament, and you know, a loss a loss to us hurts them and makes us feel pretty good. How did you feel watching? I think it was everything that you would expect out of a <clears throat> out of a Patrick Ewing coach team. They might not shoot the ball so great. They'll fight hard for 40 minutes. They'll be physical with you. They'll get to the line, which is something we've clearly lacked all all season. But um, finally, they, they were able to get to the line in this game. And yeah, they just competed. They didn't make excuses. They, they had every excuse in the world to lose this game to a team that had massive incentive to win and um they they came out and barely got the job done but got the job done and so it's hard to ask for much more and some of the some of the really good uh statistics from this game include uh a 47 33 advantage in rebounding including 17 offensive rebounds for the hoyas and obviously getting to the line but also season low seven turnovers Providence is not a team that's known for being a pressing swarming defense by any means, but it was nice to see the guys make some better decisions. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we can get into uh, some of the stars of the game, some unlikely heroes, okay. if you've been reading Twitter. As loyal listeners of the pod might know, Nathan and I are not the biggest Belay fans in the world. We often don't like it when he touches the rock at all, really. But he had a, a great game. 19 points, nine boards in 30 minutes of action, um, which is something I want to come back to in a minute. But he's a player who's had his rough starts, but, you know, he's played Division One. He came over here as a transfer, and he really showed out and played well. I thought Donald Carey did, did, wasn't asked to do too much but he was very dependable. Um, and it's nice to see these transfers that have kind of become a hallmark of Ewing's tenure so far because of transferring out. I think they had a really good game. Just on the point of uh, Chudier Belay, I thought that the main difference was that he really played within himself. I want Chudier to be the type of player to where, where if he has an open three, take it, take it every time, but also don't get don't try to get too too creative with the basketball but do drive to the basket create contact and either your athleticism wins out or you get to the line and that's what he did he did not actually shoot particularly well from the field i think four of 12 but he also shot 10 of 12 from the free throw line which is what you look for which is what we've kind of lacked all season that's exactly what you do by the way when you're not shooting well from the field is you try and you try and drive, you try and get easy looks, or you try and get to the line and get free buckets there. And so I thought it was a great job. And he alluded to it in the post game as well. He mentioned that during their pause, they had several team meetings where they were able to, as he said, hash things out. They, they clearly demonstrated, I think, a lot more balance in that Providence game. I think so too. And in a lot of games this season, they've kind of stayed in it because Javon Blair has played. He he takes a lot of shots and holds the ball a lot, but you know, he still scores. Only had nine points, went two of 12, one of eight from three. He did not have a good game. One of his worst of the season. 
Um, and they still were able to pull out a win. One thing I wanted to, to talk to you about, ask you about is Kudus Wahab did not start. It was said because they wanted size in the starting lineup, which is interesting to me. They started Tim Ego Hefe, who he didn't play that bad, actually. You know, his final line, he went three of six in the field, seven rebounds. That's not bad. He played 17 minutes. Wahab played 20 off the bench. And I thought he looked pretty good off the bench. I didn't think, I think he looked as good as he's been looking. And then, but they did play some smaller lineups with Belay. You know, when Belay plays 30 minutes, he was taking a little bit out of Wahab and you have to play a little bit out of carry, actually. But what do you, what do you think about Wahab coming off the bench? Is that going to be something moving forward? What, what, what do you think? I sure hope it's not something moving forward. I've, I've been pretty clear that I think the only way this team wins games is if Kudus Wahab dominates on the inside or plays really efficiently on the inside and then is able to open up opportunities for um, for some other players on this team. There, there definitely is something we don't know. There definitely is something we will never know. Kudus played 20 minutes in the game and had two personal fouls, which tells me that he was probably on some type of pitch count, some, some type of minutes restriction. And I'm not going to speculate on to why, as to why, but like you said, Kudis did a serviceable job off the bench. Ego Fa did a nice job in starting. And one of their big objectives was to try and limit Nate Watson on the inside. 12 points, and he fouled out of the game. And um, they were out-rebounded whether or not he was on the court, as Ed Cooley mentioned in his post-game. And so I'm not, I'm not sure what it is, but if it, w- if it was additional size or anything, but for this specific game, things worked out pretty well. They, they limited Nate Watson. They're, the bigs played solid and didn't get into foul trouble. They won the game. And if they hadn't started out so ice cold or if Blair had had a somewhat normal game for Blair, the result would have looked a lot, would, would have looked a little bit different as well. So um, I think, I think whatever they did worked for this game though, again, can't, can't read into it too much because Providence is kind of structured very differently from the next opponent, Creighton, who, who can really light it up from outside. So yeah, that's, that's sort of my take on the situation. Yeah. And I think it was nice to see a kind of bounce back game from Igo Afe who had kind of been getting pushed to the fringe of the rotation. Even Malcolm Wilson was getting some minutes over Tim um, for a little bit there. So, you know, obviously the calculus for center changes big time next year when Ryan Matumbo joins the squad and it's tough to actually see minutes for Tim going there. However, as this season goes out, it maybe, you know, as a good sign for next year for him, if the minute distribution can be, you know, Q 25, 30 minutes, Tim can be serviceable for 10 um, a game and, you know, pick up some rebounds, make some shots around the basket. You know, that's, that would help this team enormously because they the team was hemorrhaging points when Wahab wasn't on the court to start the year. I, I was very impressed by him. And there was rebounds. You kind of said it. It was a very team-led effort today. Everybody that played, you know, had three or four rebounds or more. Pickett usually gets more than six, and he only had six, and we still won the rebounding battle. So that really points to a very dedicated team going after it. Blair, Harris, Carey, they combined for 14 rebounds. You know, those are your front, uh, your backcourt guys. Um, I thought it was a really, really great team performance. And there were a couple of possessions near the end of the game where their defense was stifling. That's shocking to me. 
the Hoyas that I know that I've watched these past three years have really never been known as having a stifling defense. That was really, really fun to see. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm not going to call 72 points a stifling defense necessarily, but I will also say that I tweeted this. I tweeted this during the game, but the under four media timeout happened with three minutes and 58 seconds left to go in regulation. And I tweeted that at the time I said, I said, here we go. The last 358, this is winning time. We will learn a lot about this team in the next three minutes and 58 seconds. And what we learned was that they, they forced two shot clock violations on critical defensive possessions there where Providence and especially David Duke kind of played it a little bit too casual and let the shot clock run down. But they also, the Hoyas also played really good individual defense at that point. And they were able to, they were able to force those and also several contested shots down the stretch. And I think they did a good job of mixing up their defensive looks as well. Some man-to-man, some zone. I like their, I like their, um, pick and roll drop coverage. Well, anything beats the hard anything beats the hard hedge and not getting back, but I think they did a good job with their drop coverage and yeah, it was just really refreshing to see them make the right plays in winning time, especially on the defensive end, things you can control. They did a great job. Follow Enchen Republic on Twitter has a lot of great thoughts during the games. It's manic tweeting when we win and like two or three doom tweets when we lose. Looking ahead, we're looking at a Prades nationally ranked, I believe, still. Um, they are a good team, very good team. What can we expect to see in the next two games? We're playing back-to-back, which is always interesting because usually things are definitely different in the second game. But what can we kind of expect out of Creighton? It's interesting, first of all, because this back-to-back is Wednesday, February 3rd, and Tuesday, February 9th, which means that there's a weekend in between there where you would like to see them make up a game except all four opponents that they have to make up a game against all have their own games on that weekend so it'll remain to be to be seen if georgetown makes a schedule change i hope they do i would just like to see an opponent in that weekend because if you have to make up four games and you don't take advantage of this weekend when are you going to do it creighton is a very good team when they are on when they are off and when they miss shots, they're very vulnerable. I I don't have a whole lot of respect for their defense. They get burned in the post because they like to play fast, but they also like to play very small. They have a couple bad losses. They've got a loss to they've got a loss at Butler overtime, which is not what you would expect out of a top 15 team or a team that aspires to be in that area. They have a loss to Providence. Their most recent game, they got a scare at DePaul when they did not shoot well. Although they have owned Coach Ewing. Coach Ewing's never won a game against Creighton in his his time here. So they do have that going for them. But if they shoot poorly in one of these two games, which is not out of the question, things will change. And so I think a lot really depends on, I think a lot really depends on Mitch Ballack and Marcus Zagorowski. They have been a little bit down and not themselves in the last couple games. If they return to form or finished because three is worth more than two and they will let Q get as many post touches as he wants. If Ballack and Zagorowski stay hot, if they don't play up to their standard, then things change and, we would be looking at a real at a real signature victory this season, even if 
if that uh, Providence game coming off a 21-day layoff and coming off a 15-point deficit in the in the first half, if that wasn't enough. Looking ahead in the schedule, two games against Creighton. Um, where Creighton actually has a game in between against Marquette. That was a good point you made. So for them, it's not back-to-back. For us, it is. Then a game against Butler, which you'd like to see You'd like to see Georgetown win that one, especially after losing in our second home, Hinkle Field House, earlier this season. A game against number three, Villanova, who we gave a score to on our home court, but heading out to Philly is always tough. After that, you got Seton Hall and, and UConn coming to Georgetown, but also there might be some makeups somewhere in there. Like you said, it's a little tough to see where the makeups are going to be right now. I have to assume they're going to try something. For me, what I'd like to see is just some consistency, you know? The way they played in the after the under four timeout and against Providence, I'm not saying you need to keep that intensity up the whole game. I mean, you'd like to, but that's exhausting. But I'd like to see some more sustained offensive sets, some trickery on defense. In terms of talent, they're not going to match up that well against teams like Creighton and, and Villanova and UConn, but they can play well. And I think Ewing's had actually some pretty good coaching moments um, lately. And you hope coming off this layoff, they'll be able to, they're well rested and they're ready to go. I also wanted to go back to the Providence game really quick and spotlight a couple of their individual performances. Dante Harris, eight points, five rebounds, five assists, two turnovers. Seemed like, again, he, just like Chudy played within himself, Dante did a better job of playing within him, within himself. And part of that may have come from the layoff. He still played a lion's share of the minutes, if I'm not mistaken, because you don't have other point guards. But he did a really good job of picking when to drive, picking when to dish, and not forcing too much of anything. So you really love to see that growth out of Dante Harris and Donald Carey. Solid as they come. Five critical points down the stretch. A bank three that led to a classic Patrick Ewing story playing against the Bulls. So that was awesome. And if Don Carey and Dante Harris continue to play within themselves, this not only this season, but also next season, uh, I think the tournament drought is in serious jeopardy. Earlier this season, I was like, we have five new freshmen coming in. Let's see if uh, all five are going to be starting. But now I'm uh, calming down a little bit on that. Definitely, I've definitely been impressed by Ewing this season, just with everything. Like you said, I, I would really like to see this tournament drought ending next year. Yeah, and I, I, also, uh, I also think that this game was a pretty rough one for Play the Freshman, Hoyas Twitter. You you still would like to see it happen. Obviously, they the only way they can really grow is if they're out there facing the live bullets. And also in a season where there's no fans, this is as good a time as any to do it. I struggle with these next couple games. I think that Villanova, Butler, Seton Hall, UConn, these are all teams that can turn it up defensively. Is it just me or is or is it like there's certain types of fundamental things that you can that are firmly in your control when you play basketball, taking care of the ball, right? Taking care of the ball, rebounding, giving effort, giving effort to get position for rebounding, keeping up the intensity on defense. Sometimes the shots don't fall, and that's largely a question of randomness, maybe even more so than scale. And so I, I think that controlling the controllables is a really good lesson to be able to take out of this problems game and this is like a long breakdown of this problems game but we've also we've also been uh starved for for some uh, georgetown men's basketball and so it's great to see them control the controllables i i agree 100 that's what you kind of hope to start seeing with such a veteran team like this honestly i'm still surprised i i, I don't think pickett played that great um and blair definitely didn't play that great so the fact that we won without them when they were you know, kind of expected to be the two that if they had a good game, maybe we'd have a shot. 
bodes well. I felt I felt I feel pretty good about how the other players have been playing. All right. Uh like like Roman mentioned, men's upcoming schedule, they have a back-to-back against Creighton, although those are not in necessarily close proximity timing-wise. And both of those are actually hellish 9 p.m. tip times, which are the worst on the planet, speaking as both a journalist and as a member of, and as a fan member of the pep band, those are the worst times ever to have a basketball game. Uh, and then following that, they'll have a home match against Butler and they will travel to Philly to, uh, to take on the top three Villanova Wildcats. Hey, I can always appreciate a good later game because I'm on the West Coast and it's never too late for me. That is true. I didn't think about it that way, but the East Coast is more important. That's why it's called the Big East. So uh, with that, I think we'll end it here. Thanks for uh, hopping on with me again, Roman, and um, look forward to the next time. All right. I'll see you later.